What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, special guest, Aaron Doan from Catalyst Comics, creator of Tilt. Thank you for being here, sir. Also, fellow podcaster for the Beard and Comics Podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Um, thanks for the shout out. We actually just announced that we put Beards and Comics podcast on hiatus. So. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, look, man, look, sometimes, sometimes you need that break because I've done it myself. Many. Well, of- it, well it's a podcast that's, that was really about the industry um, or being involved in small press and indie comics. And we felt like we were starting to hit that point where we were going to start circling back around to stuff. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to be that. So we stopped that. Um, but we do have Dementophobia podcast, which is the one that we we're putting more effort into. And that's just us um, reading through random flash fiction really? and um, and just having a blast. So whenever we find a cool flash fiction story, we kind of read through it and joke around about it. Now, for those people that do not understand what flash fiction is, what do you describe it as? Yeah. So flash fiction is uh, the ones that we lean toward are just real independent writers um, just anyone who gets online and uh, goes, we use flashfiction.net because it's the biggest one. And um, we'll pick in a genre like um, the one we're just finishing up is Power Rangers. Okay. And so it's an old one from like 2006. It's like Power Rangers, Dino Thunder Neo. Um, and we try to find somebody that's not a well-known writer, and mm-hmm. um, but someone that has good reviews. And we just read through their story and have fun with it. Really? Oh, that, now is that sort of in relevance to fan fiction? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly. Yeah, it's that's the same exactly, thing. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Got you, man. Hey, look. For one, thank you again for being here. <laughs> being here today. So, you actually got uh, gave me an opportunity to uh, basically read through a a character story series, of course, of, of superhero origin by the name of Tilt. And um, you're you're within your fourth issue that you'll be releasing pretty much pretty soon. And I, I am enamored by the story. Like I, I've actually gotten a chance to uh, read through, read through the book. Of, I'd say maybe around like three times. And I came up with a boatload of questions because I, of course, out of a lot of things and a lot of the stories I lead, uh, I read, I like to basically pick the creator's brain as to why they went there and why they chose to, to basically write the series in which that they write. And generally, uh, pretty much want to understand that is as far as the main uh, character and the main uh, the main storyline that's brought out there, you pretty much want to understand exactly where the creator's mindset is in making that character and why they did. Um, so to get into it, um, when, what year did you start this series? Um, I penned it in 2015. Really? Yes. Okay. So it's been a minute, um, but this was before any ideas of ever even wanting to release a comic book. Hmm. Um, it was just something that I did because I've always been a writer. So. Right now, now we're when you essentially put this together, were you like free writing it at first, and then you just didn't realize how far you had gotten, and it yeah, just came up that way. Well, I, I wrote um, Paradigm was the first character that I wrote, and that was our first comic book that we released. Um, and I had a bunch of notes of really cool things I thought would have been fun. Then I realized they didn't fit with that character. Um, his name is Ben, but it just didn't fit with who he was as a personality. And so I took all of those and they're pretty much what became Tilt. Um, and then I sat down and I wrote all four issues of Paradigm and all four issues of Tilt at the same time. Um, so they're all kind of integrated as well. But it was really just a bunch of leftover notes that I thought would make up a really fun character. 
Now, generally, if you're if you're writing two storylines at the same time, is there some sort of intersectionality between the two stories or would you say that they're completely separate? They are not separate at all. Um, and we have a, a couple different sections to Catalyst Comics and there's the uh, Uprising, which is creator owned. They're, they're like one last jobs, the last one that we've put out. And that's just a spy thriller. Um, we have a horror book called Welcome to Everville. Um, and we have anything that's not connected goes in that. Mm. Um, but anything that is connected is part of the Catalyst Comics universe. And that's uh, Paradigm, Tilt, um, Shift and Sage, which we haven't put out yet, and then Silhouette. Um, and so far, Silhouette has just been seen in a short story um, that's available on Amazon still, I believe. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So so basically, you, you put this together in 2015. Now, did it all come in one hit or pretty much you started putting it together in sections now when when i when i when i read it like it, it seems like it's, it's a continuing story it definitely does yeah so, like, was this was all four issues in one hit and then you just chose to separate them by the comics in which the issues were given yeah absolutely so they were all um together and i was still learning how to i had again i had no idea anything about the comic book world how laying out books works anything like that mm -hmm. um I feel like I got lucky with the first issue and that people just vibed with the character. And so, um, you know, it'll, I also had a good team behind it. So that'll just get better when we remaster it for the trade. But um, yeah, I sat down and wrote the whole storyline out together. It's same thing that I did with Paradigm's first story arc. Um, and I try to do that as much as I can, though on some stories and other comic books, I want to kind of do it piece by piece. Um, whereas this one, I just went, I went hard for the whole thing. Nice, nice. And when exactly did you um, put together the idea that you could possibly take within this entire story and what you read, um, what you wrote, um, that you you would chop it up and put it in a comic? Yeah. Um, so once it was written out, I was just paneling and paging it. Um, of course, as you start publishing and paying to get these comic books made, you have to start scaling some of that stuff back. So there is other content that'll never really be seen from Tilt. Um, that were just kind of extra pages that went with the stories. Um, and that really just comes down to once you want to break it down into issues, how many issues is it going to make? Um, I've told people a lot that I like four issue story arcs right. because I feel like you don't have fluff comics. Um, I feel like in a lot of contemporary writing, there's, you know, six, eight, 12, um, mm -hmm. and you get a really strong first issue. And, you know, it always ends with the the same way with the kind of revelation of the villain at the end of the first one. And then, you know, a strong second issue that's going to talk about the villain and then a whole bunch of fluff until like the last half of the next to last one and the final issue. <laughs> so um, I thought to myself, like, how much could I take into four issues and still develop a character that people love right? Um, while giving him the momentum that I would rather him have rather than having a, a sprawled out story that just has a bunch of fluff in it. So by you saying that uh, for the most part that, you know, you don't necessarily uh, find any any need for filler issues or or better yet filler episodes or, or in that in that faith. Would you say that uh, you you're you're a fan of the Disney Plus shows because they only they only give you about four to four to six issues a piece? You know, I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. Um, I, I, anybody wants more content. Right. But that's a that's a good thing. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, especially as somebody that makes comic books and sells them. I would rather somebody be like, I, I remember because I had someone review all the stuff we had done last year and they talked about both the short stories that I, I've, or not short stories, I guess they're novelettes that I had put out. And um, they were like, the part that made me mad about it was I wanted there to be more. 
I was like, I did my job then. <laughs> that's that's the best compliment I could get is that you wanted more of it. <laughs> the whole point of comic books is that there's always an epic cliffhanger at the end. They yes. always want you either wanting the next issue or when the story is completely done, wants the customer, customer or the audience to want more. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Tilt is the, um, the play on tropes. That was his whole generation. Um, that's how he kind of came about was just let me play off a bunch of these superhero tropes that we've all seen time and time again. Um, and I don't know if you have anything in there later about it, but just things like uh, going into three different suits within the first like two issues. I did see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's just a play on superheroes changing their suits all the time. Um, it, it just it's fun for me to to kind of take those things that I grew up in things that I love and um, superhero comic books aren't easy right now because not a lot of people want to get invested in new superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, they pretty much have their staples within the big two. Uh, but once you get into small press and indie, it's a little bit more difficult to get them in front of people. Um, but we've been kind of gradually growing that audience. So it's been a fun thing to watch. Good, good. So uh, in essence, outside of the character Tilt himself, who for the most part is the person Patrick E. Tilt. Yeah, so Patrick, um, one of the enjoyable things about him and his his personality is that he was taken when he was 15. I mean, he was a teenager right in the middle of the teens um, and taken and experimented on, turned into a mercenary. So pretty much his life stopped at 15. And so when we see him later in the book, um, once he gets free of that and he gets uh, contact with Cindy, you could see that kind of weird, um, like he's still a teenager mindset while he's trying to flirt, but he's not good at it. And he's not really sure. Like he's super jacked, but I don't think he really realizes that. Mm -hmm. So um, just that playful mindset of like, let me take this character and still treat him like he's 15 in his mind, um, even though he's, you know, in his 30s now. Got you. And and, and even so, like uh, upon his the first time you actually like see him in, in a panel, you know, he effortlessly does not have an apartment. He's pretty much right. living, on, living on the streets. Right. He's hitching rides on planes. <laughs> you know, like, yep. he's, do, he's doing everything outside of the, I mean, he, he doesn't seem like he's depressed by his situation. He mm -hmm. pretty much is comfortable in his own skin. Or at least trying to sound that way, you know? Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of the way I was trying to play it was, uh, I wanted the reader to think like either he really is comfortable in his own skin or he just really wants to be comfortable in his own skin. Hmm. Got you. Now, as, as you spoke on earlier, where uh, Patrick basically uh, was taken away from his parents at uh, 15, this wasn't uh, this wasn't uh, voluntary um, for him. I mean, pretty much as far as the aspect goes where he was being shipped away, you know, his parents didn't necessarily feel a need for them to visit him anymore. That was pretty much the end of their uh, upbringing of Patrick. It was like, okay, my kid has superhero powers, but this is scary. So I'm exactly. going to let this kid go. So where other parents were pretty much, it, it's in other superhero stories where they're trying to basically shield their children from the powers and how you know the access, the access to it could be dangerous to others. Uh, Patrick's got rid of them. Yeah, absolutely. And we may someday find out and explore why that was the decision that they made. Um, but within the universe itself, it is a um, it's still new. It, 
it's new, but it's not new. It's uh, hyper evolution is what we call it, um, which is it's similar in essence to like the mutant gene for X Men. Um, so it it's, it's shown in some people, but not everybody. But it's starting to pick up its pace, um, and so we'll start seeing it more and more. Uh, one of the short stories that I did was called Fire by Night, and that was set in medieval times. And mm. so the powers have been around for forever. Um, they just are starting to become more prominent and more known. And that's like the birth of the Council of Elders that we'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, as as far as that, as far as like the writing style that you see from Patrick in the, in, in the early first issue, uh, one, thing's that, one thing that you do realize is that... Uh, within your writing is that Patrick is pretty much breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. he, is, he is finding times to narrate the origin of his story through the audience by talking to them. Right. As far as an author um, and, and in writing in such a way, like how is it when you have to like pretty much have a conversation with the audience without necessarily like, like as you're writing it, is it almost like, I have to come up with a conversation and possibly answer on the other side, like, hey, guys, you understand that I would do this, right? Right. Um, I mean, in, in the things that you say or that Patrick says, he's trying to, um, I, sh I shouldn't say in the things that Patrick says, because it's it's the most honest style of writing that I do is, is within the Tilt story, because it's more of how I would write if people will like read my blogs or things like that, where it's more of... Um, uh, conversational. Um, it's more directly to you. And uh, for him, I wanted that same element, like how can I make him connect with the audience? But because I'm a writer, there's still ways that you kind of lead people to a certain thought, and that'll help progress the stories as well. Um, because I'm sure you've read all kinds of different comics, but there are comics that try it and are very poor at doing it. Um, and so they kind of just leave you just kind of confused on what the purpose was and mm -hmm. who they were actually talking to. And that was a, a hard task in the beginning. Like I said, you know, we came into this stuff fresh, not really knowing much about making comics and had to explore the use of um, like you, you have him narrating his own story, but you also have him talking to the audience and you have like just normal conversations with characters that aren't breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. So how do you use narrative bubbles, speech bubbles, <laughs> caption bubbles? This is um, true. It was, it was a lot of work, but I think we kind of found the balance. And, uh, and then sometimes you just do random add-ins later on where like there's the part in the first one where he's walking down the street and that person walked by him and they're just like, who is he talking to? Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of things to pull you a little bit more into his reality. Do you feel like uh, as far as when you when you're writing out those comics, do you feel like as as opposed to like uh, writing in in the in such a way that basically you're you're narrating to the audience? Is it difficult for the letterer as as far as the aspects of how you're writing it to capture thought versus actual actual speech? I'll say uh, with Tilt, I lettered the first three. Um, Ooh, okay. and, and that's why you'll notice the fourth one looks so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so when we get to, we're going to have, you know, one through three all re-lettered before we go and make the trade. Um, but I was curious about that myself. And so when we hired Dave Lentz to do lettering on issue four, um, we only had maybe two different things that he asked me about, um, as far as like directional, who he was speaking to. Other mm -hmm. than that, he seemed to have grasped it, um, pretty quick. And I don't know if it's just because he's a letterer by trade. Um, 
but I mean, he did a fantastic job with it, so I have no complaints. <laughs> is is there a signature favorite character that you had necessarily went to possibly for inspiration of how to write, uh, write in this way of, of breaking the fourth wall? Mm, not particularly. I think it was a blend of one of the guys that we used to um, talk to a lot, he had, he had described uh, Tilt as Superman if Superman didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's pretty much what my thought process was creating Tilt. Um, but I just had that element. Like I said, I, was, I had a bunch of notes from Paradigm. And one of them was like, should he talk to the audience? Um, and then, of course, once you make that decision, you have to go read the books where they do. And, of course, Deadpool is one of the top ones who yeah. actually you know, breaks the fourth wall. Um, and it's just more enjoyable. It's more so a flip on narration than anything else. Really true. Definitely. So to get, uh, get a little bit deep into the story. Um, one of the first pe- people that pretty much tilt feels the need to reintroduce himself to, um, upon him leaving the council and the council of, uh, well, I can't say he's leaving the council of elders, but he works within the council. Um, is a gentleman, of course, that uh, knows him, or or better yet, thinks knows him far mm-hmm. too well, and it's exquisite. So mm-hmm. um, it's the gentleman who basically took him away from his family in the first issue, and he pretty much reintroduces himself by crashing right through his window, Lex Luthor style, right. and confronting him, confronting him head on. Yeah, as far as like some needed answers because. How much, if you could say from an author standpoint, how much time has passed since Tilt has left the council and to present day? Yeah, so I think when we first pick up, it's um, it's it's a little bit of time. I think it's um, a couple of years that he's been out, um, but he's just been homeless and kind of trying to figure out life. But at some point he makes that decision, like I need to figure out who's kind of pulling all these strings and um, of course, the more that you're out of that stuff, the more you think back to, you know, the stuff that tore you apart and tore you from your family and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his only point of contact he ever knew outside of, you'll notice that you never see the Council of Elders. He knew, like Tilt knew he worked for them, but he didn't know who they were personally. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of the whole element of who they are. But he knew Exquisite because Exquisite's the one that would come and, and take the kids to the council. Um, so that's his first point of contact. So that's exactly where he went. Mm. Now, necessarily in, in coming in first contact with, with Exquisite, he finds it surprising that mm-hmm. Exquisite pretty much is pretty much like trying to help him a little bit. Like, it's almost like he's like, not saying he's like forgiving or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's more so just, it was like, yeah, sure. I'll help you. But first I, it, these are the ways to do it. Uh, like right. he, he kind of gives him tasks. Yeah. And, and I think um, one of the things I enjoyed about writing that part was I think when people see him break through the window and they know who it is that he's talking to as the person that took him, that they think that that entire experience with the two of them together is going to go a completely different way, you know, but instead um, you find out exquisite, isn't maybe who, who you thought he was um, just by the random notion of him taking kids and giving them to the council. But no, I mean, Exquisite's a billionaire. Um, and he, he pretty plainly says it's not because of the council. Um, so he feels he has that little bit of uh, authority to play both sides. 
And so in his mind, that's why he does the analogies of the chess and the chessboard and kings and pawns um, is because he's talking about trying to balance things out. He doesn't want the council to get too much power because that might infringe on him and his company. Um, mm. And he doesn't want hyper evos to just completely take over the council because that is still a connection that's you know global. Now, uh, in some type of small conversations that he's had with his secretary, I believe her name is Ashley. Mm -hmm. Correct. He references um, the cure mm -hmm. as to something that he's looking for. Now, is it in correspondence with it that is it that there's so many supers out there that he's trying to turn everybody back to normal? Or it's actually uh, it's a little bit more nuanced and a little bit deeper than that um hmm. and we're we're not going to explore it until the next story arc um because after issue four tilt will continue it's just kind of yeah. stopped until everything else catches up with it um but exquisite does have hyper evolution um he can sense deficiencies he can sense um what things are wrong with people and he kind of calls exquisite out on that you know it's like you're having too much salt in your diet or whatever um and so that conversation was him and ashley like as something's wrong with ashley that he's trying to um help her figure out a cure for um now in paradigm as that storyline progresses you'll see that there is something different about the blood in hyper evos that they're trying to um figure out and something to do with how the council finds these people mm, okay see did not know that that, that makes right. it a lot more intriguing uh so uh, essentially because exquisite of course is a billionaire he seems to be operating independently is mm -hmm. he still working for the council he's not he's never worked for the council gotcha he's always just had one hand with them um same with the hyper evos as far as we we know once we read tilt it seems like he really is in both sides mm -hmm. um so how much of that is he manipulating and how much of it is him trying to keep a grasp on something that's just something to be explored uh, but i'll say the the second story arc i mean you read the end of the fourth issue so it kind of ends with like a um like cr crap's probably about to hit the fan when the story next story yeah. picks up um and I'll say by the end of that story arc, uh, I'll call it almost like a chessboard reset. Um, mm. So things we thought we're comfortable with, you know, they're all going to get messed up. Got you. So as as far as like uh, when we get, I think when I got to the second issue, mm -hmm. uh, you come to meet a character by the name of Cindy, uh, who is is also a hyper evo, if if I'm correct. She's not. She is. Uh, not. She's just that R and D lady from Exquisite's place in the first book, and uh, she makes cool tech, and so she keeps her own tech. And I think it kind of elevates her character a little bit. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. See that that was confused by that as well. Okay. <laughs> so uh, upon looking at uh, basically the definition of, I guess, the power set that mm -hmm. Tilt has. Um, he's coming to find out a lot more about himself by the interactions that he's having physically. Mm -hmm. you know, so like when he goes under the, there's a drone attack mm -hmm. that happens while he's asleep, right. he gets shot up. Oh yeah. And he turns out to have a manipulative healing factor. Yes. Um, and that is another play on tropes. And that's why he even says like, oh, that's convenient. Um, and it's just my way of messing with, uh, I don't know. The, the big two, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was, it's, it's still humorous with his character and it's just who Patrick is, is he's going to call these things out and talk about them. 
Um, but yeah, so he's still kind of discovering the own extent of his powers because the only powers that he's exploited has had exploited were the ones that they used for mercenary purposes. Um, so you can tell he's probably not someone who's been shot at a whole lot. Yeah. Um, as or in the sense of like actually in true harm's way, um, because he seems cocky and boastful for the most point, most part. Well, to piggyback off, you said there's obviously somebody who has, uh, who's definitely been the brunt of being the shield of a lot of bullets. And yeah. that just so happens to be his former partner. That's Taylor. right. That's so, right. um, and, and, and in saying so that much, was it, was it meant to be that basically they were, were they partners or were they more so set up to be on the same missions? They were, um, I would say that they were, they were mercenaries, uh, partners in whatever, whatever sense you would want to use the term partners, you know, mm -hmm. it's obvious that they had done missions together and they knew, they thought they knew each other fairly well, um, well enough to have the conversations that they had. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if there's like, you know, mercenary duos, but <laughs> I guess they were just the ones that got sent on missions together a lot. Got you. Got you. And, and ultimately, uh, tilts comes to think that he might have met his demise in one of their, uh, prior missions, mm -hmm. but uh, essentially in the conversations that Taylor and tilt had amongst themselves, it seems as though that not necessarily that Taylor was ever jealous of tilt. He was more so he seemed like he was totally against the council at first, uh, was definitely making fun of the fact that Tilt was pretty much like a company boy or better yeah. yet, he was the golden boy of the operation. Right. And better yet, it kind of seemed like Talon was more so expendable than anything. Yeah. So when we see the flashback sequence that you're referencing, it's it's almost like um, you can tell that. Taylor was probably the bad boy and you know he was always kind of causing some kind of issue that the council has to clean up um and then we see him do it again then and so it's pretty much just the council's last straw mm -hmm. um so you know Taylor is a hyper evo as well um and he's another one whose powers aren't completely explored yet but um it, it kind of sets that up to where we can see that the council's just done with it and as far as Taylor knows like tilt's involved Mm. So then again, when they when they pretty much reintroduce themselves to each other, like as far as the attack on tilt, uh, mm -hmm. whether whether it was the drone drone attack in the beginning or whether it was the first time where where basically tilt had seen Talon for the first time, where they mm -hmm. actually get into a confrontation, is it more so that Talon is seeing him as still working for the council? Yes, uh, I think that Talon's interpretation is that. Um, tilt is still with the council and that somehow that's going to come back to haunt him um because of his past mm. and, and and better yet like he he has a couple <laughs> a couple <laughs> of physical confrontations with him and it's not like Taylor's a slouch he pretty much like understands how to combat tilt oh for on, sure on yeah. an extreme edge the the biggest thing that i guess i can see from from Tilt's point of view, aside from the fact that he has a healing quality, he's not more, he's not immortal. No, not by any case, case or, or, or anything. Like, yeah. He definitely bleeds. I mean, damn, he caught a knife through the bicep. <laughs> um, so I've, I've seen him shot. He's been, he got poisoned. Yeah. He, he got poisoned. Yeah. Uh, shot with a tranquilizer dart that yep. Lord knows how he got out of that situation. <laughs> um, 
but it, it it definitely seems like aside from him, aside from Taylor, that I'm not sure if Taylor has a healing quality or anything like that because he was getting worked in episode three. Um, but for the most part, it looked like Tilt was getting a brunt of the punishment that Taylor was giving him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted it to be when you have an overpowered character because that's exactly what tilt is is an overpowered character just like superman is um you have to have some other edge for the villain and for me it was well let me explore that past a little bit Mm -hmm. um because i think any good villain has um qualities that a reader can identify with right um to where you can you could read his side of the story and be like i kind of understand why he feels that way um even though you know the villain might take it to an extreme but it's just a part of who he is as a person um but i wanted to make sure that he could somehow be able to withstand um that fight with tilt and still hold his own ground and he absolutely does that's definitely (laughs) true um now now more so um it feels like it's it, within the four issues in which I read. It feels like uh, it. It feels like a mystery mystery story. Um, the way that I see it is it upon Tilt's objective and his end goal as trying to figure out his past and who basically has molded him into the person that we now know as Tilt. Is that more the end game that he's just trying to figure out his past, or is there something else to it? Yeah, so his thing right now is um, tearing down the council. And that's what we're going to explore throughout all of his story arcs. Um, as far as the the Catalyst Comics universe goes, the I, I think I counted and it was 42. There's at some point going to be 42 issues that are all within that same universe that lead up to the crossover. Mm. Um, and then the crossover is going to be the special event that has um, Shift, Sage, Silhouette, Paradigm, um, Tilt, Cindy or Sprocket, um, Exquisites involved, like Quantum, there's another character, like just a bunch of all of them together. And then um, what I have planned for, if we can ever hit that in my lifetime, what I have planned for that next step after that, um, I think will leave people kind of like, I can't believe they would do that with Tilt. <laughs> so oh, that's 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 kind of my goal is to make people scratch their heads with stuff. Yeah, because amidst the experimentations, there had to be like, I guess, some DNA swapping or anything like that. So I'm pretty much like looking at a way. Are they trying to duplicate Hyper Evos as far as like what the future is pretty much going to build? Or is the Council of Elders pretty much trying to build their own army of them, not only utilizing them as mercenaries, but pretty much garnering up the fact that they can build their own army? Yeah, and, and what we'll discover is that the council elders, they've always been there and um, and their hands are everywhere across the globe in all kinds of different awful things. Um, for instance, that silhouette shadow game short story is centered around silhouette. Actually, the story is told from the point of view of the villain who's the person that's sent to hunt down silhouette. Mm. Um, but you discover in the course of it that silhouette is actually hunting for her sister who was sold into trafficking. Mm. And... Um, and so we discover that the council is some branch of the council is involved with trafficking mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, if the council is going to operate, they're going to do the things that make the most money. Um, and they're also not a good organization. So they're going to do not good things. Wow. So does it seem like uh, as far as how the story was written, is somebody not giving us their entire uh, personality or better yet, their whole story? Does Nobody it- is. 
Nobody is. Nobody has. Not even Cindy. And she got shot. Yeah, no, not even Cindy. <laughs> oh my God. That's horrible. And and and, and I like the uh the 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 ally to the the business car getting thrown on her back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I thought that was a good touch. That was that was Thanks. a good touch. Um necessarily like uh, as as far as issue four, uh when when are you looking to release that? Um yeah, so I'm waiting and I'm comfortable waiting now. Um, okay. I'm trying to do things very different this time. Um, like I said, superhero stuff is, is more difficult. It's, it's been the more difficult things that we've done on campaigns. Whereas we did, um, you know, like a dark fantasy horror that was Welcome to Everville. And at the time that outperformed a lot more mm. uh, percentagely. And then we did One Last Job 1 and then One Last Job 2. And both of those have outperformed any superhero stuff we've done. Um, so in the course of that, this book is already almost a year past when it was supposed to, in our minds, come out um, mm -hmm. for what our plan was for it. But at the same time, 2021 was when we started giving issue one away for free on our website. Um, and we noticed a huge growth in our email base um, and in the fan base for Tilt. And uh, we just want to kind of capitalize as much as we can on that and let the the growth happen before we launch rather than hoping that we just have a good launch and then try to find growth throughout the mix of it this will be our seventh campaign so i'm just trying to do stuff a little bit smarter <laughs> for, for sure now as far as like um within the sneak peek that's uh pretty much uh I, if if i can say so the the sneak peek that's given in in issue four now, uh, Talon and Tilt, of course, work as mercenaries for the council. And we get introduced to a newer character at the end of issue four. That is more so now the newest mercenary that, that has pretty much been entered into the fold. And uh, is it going to be up to Tilt and Talon to basically let this guy know that he's just being used the entire time? Is there more to him? Uh, there's more to him and there's more to what his own personal plans are. Um, I, I, I'm fairly comfortable saying, because I think it's a fun thing to leave, is that we've met the council, but now we're about to see that there's war within the council. Mm. Um, and so he's a central figure in, in a lot of that. But I'll, he comes to kind of destroy the world or destroy their world, you know, Tilt's world right. and, and, and all those characters. Like I said, at the end of that next story arc, it's pretty much like hitting a reset button. Um, and he's going to be one of the central figures in that. It's, so are we, uh, are we seeing this character is pretty much looking at the council as kind of like the old guard and it's kind of like a destroying rebuild opportunity for him to basically like take the reins a little bit. He's going to try. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so, Aaron, what are you reading right now as far as comics are concerned? Yeah, so we had been um, <laughs> the last thing we tried on uh, the Beards of Comics podcast. We started going through books with uh, the audience, um, but I've been reading more of the classic stuff. Okay. Um, so there's not a lot of whole there's not a whole lot of new stuff that um, is kind of catching me, um, especially in the superhero worlds. Um, I did enjoy the Power Rangers universe stuff. Did you? Yeah. And, uh, and it's probably because I didn't know it. <laughs> Is that the, the IDW, uh, Power Rangers ones that they put out? It's there with, I think it's boom now. Uh, um, oh, that's yeah, right. Boom. It is boom now. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Boom themselves, they just, they have a fantastic list of different um, titles. So That's true. Um, they, they're kind of hitting the nail on the head right now. Um, but other than that, I read a lot of indie stuff. Like um, one of my, my friends, Mike Tiener, he puts out a lot of good books like Midnight Highway. Um, and one of my favorite indie series is um, Black Jackets. And he just kind of released the fourth and fifth issue of that. Um, but yeah, I, I try to keep smaller press and indie. And then if I see anything on the bigger guys that seems to spark my interest, then I grab it. Is there <laughs> any specific genre that you enjoy reading more than most? Well, no, not really. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, I, of course, one of the last things that I read was um, I read through was Doug Wagner's vinyl series. Um, so he, he became a good friend of mine and him and I talk a lot now, um, but he put out plastic back in the day and that was like his big one. Um, and that was all about a serial killer and, and just a wild story. And so vinyl is kind of like a sequel ish thing where it's set in the same universe as that. Um, but that's very much like horror slash mob, I guess would be the wow. best way I could describe it. It's a fun, fun thing though. Um, but yeah, I have no set, uh, thing that I read. I used to read pretty much exclusively superhero stuff. Um, but there's been too many reboots and I just kind of already know where the stories are going. Um, but I still watch the shows. So. <laughs> Definitely. So if anybody wanted to get their hand on the catalog, as far as Catalyst Comics is concerned, where, how can they do so? Yeah, CatalystComicStudio.com is the easiest way to do it. Everything we put out so far is on there. Um, you can find some of my short stories on Amazon, like Barnes & Noble, stuff like that. Um, but all of it's still available right on our website. And like I said earlier, Tilt Number 1 is free. Um, people can just go on there, and it's right at the top of our main page. It'll, it'll say, do you want this? And you just hit the button and put in your email, and we'll email you the copy of Tilt Number 1. Definitely. So... For, for for all of us here at the Facts Project, I mean, I appreciate you being on here and uh, definitely want to look forward to exactly the universe that you're building, especially with Tilt, Paradigm, and the rest of the Catalyst Comics catalog as far as, far as that's concerned. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Um, if you're into other stuff, like I don't know if you're into like dark fantasy and stuff, but I'll, I'll send you some stuff. Over. I don't care. <laughs> Any, anything. I, yeah. I, I run the gauntlet, so I'm, I'm, almost <laughs> in, I'm in the same boat as you. But uh, for, for myself, James Grandmaster Facts Voice, Aaron Doan, thank you for being here. This, is, this has been great. And we are out.